Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week as we try to answer some more of your questions from the Bible. And if you're viewing for the first time, that's what we do here. That's all we do here is try to help folks know their Bible. And we found one of the best ways to do that is just answer viewers' questions. Whatever you're interested in, we'll try to find an answer for you. A lot of religious TV programs, uh, folks will tell you what they think you need to know or what they think you want to know. But we let you tell us what you want to know and we try to find the answers in the Bible. So anything, uh, sometimes we get very specific questions. What this verse means, uh, what's this doctrine about? And sometimes we get a lot of life questions uh, about raising kids and finances and even things that are going on in the government. People wonder, what's the Bible say about that? What's God's principles on those things? And we're always happy to try to find you an answer. So that's what we'll be doing for the next 30 minutes. And we've got a phone number and a website on the screen throughout the program. You can use those anytime you want uh, to get in touch with us and let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible, and you can direct the program. So that's the way we operate. Let me uh, introduce my friend, Mr. Toby Levering. Hi, Steve. Toby's back and studied up and ready to go. Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, we're going to answer as many questions as we can today, but uh, we always have one for our viewers first. So let's start with that. <coughs> kind of a trivia question. Uh, what son replaced Abel? Abel was killed, of course, belonged to Adam and Eve, and he was killed. Uh, what son replaced him? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family are up on that little piece of Bible information. All right, I think I drew the first one today. And our viewer wants to know, uh, now that Jesus is glorified, does he know the day of his second coming? He didn't when he was on earth. Well, interesting question. I don't think I've ever really thought about that. Uh, but our viewer is absolutely right. Uh, Jesus did not know uh, the day of His second coming. Uh, the specific verse that says that is in Matthew 24, verse 36. We'll look at that together. Uh, somebody was asking about that while well, the apostles were asking about when He was coming back. And he said, no one knows about that day or hour. Uh, not even the angels in heaven, uh, nor the Son, but only the Father. He said, hey, I don't know <laughs> when that day is going to be. So our viewers read that and got to thinking and thought, well, now he's back in heaven. He's at his Father's right hand. He's glorified. Uh, does he know now? Well, it makes absolute sense that surely he does know, yeah. but the Bible doesn't say. So like we do on this program a lot of times, we say we just can't answer that one from the Bible. Uh, that's knowledge that's not been revealed to us. I certainly suppose he does. Uh, but we're just not told about it. I can't know. I can't think of any reason why he wouldn't know that now. Uh, but I can't find you a verse that says now Jesus knows that. So that's my answer. Can't tell from the Bible. 
He probably does. Though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Toby, yep. what's your viewer want to know? Uh, they want to know about Jesus's childhood, about oh, his okay. youth. And so the question is, why is Luke 2, 42 and 43 the only place the Bible mentions as uh, mentions Jesus as a youth? Well, that is a very interesting question. I've said on here before, I work with teenagers mostly, and I've often thought about that question about what was Jesus like uh, before he started his ministry as a young man, as a child. Uh, we get a little bit of a picture in the story that the viewer referenced in Luke 2.42 that talked about him being at the temple and getting lost and had to be about my father's business. But outside of that, we don't get any insights into what Jesus was like and what he said and what he did as a child. Uh, there are many things like that in Scripture. In fact, Steve just kind of answered a question like that, that, you know, we think about it and it seems to make sense to us, but the Bible doesn't really say. Uh, when I'm working with teenagers, they ask me a lot of good questions, sometimes questions you've never thought of before. And uh, sometimes I get what I call belly button questions. Uh, the, the question that I used to illustrate this is, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Well, hmm, seems to make sense that, Maybe they didn't, you know, they were being uniquely created by God. But it's weird to think about a person without a belly button. But the Bible doesn't really say. A belly button question is kind of one of the questions that's interesting, uh, maybe a little on the trivial side, uh, makes us wonder, makes us ask. But the Bible doesn't really give us any insight. And what I tell the teenagers is usually when you come to a belly button question, it's one of those questions that you, you look forward to being able to ask someday when you get to, get to heaven and get those questions answered. Uh, but if the Bible doesn't answer it, it's uh, not something that God knew, or God definitely knew that we didn't need to know it. And so that seems to be the case here with Jesus' childhood and his youth. Uh, I think the most important part of Jesus' youth is mentioned in uh, actually Luke chapter 2, verse 52. We'll look at that on the screen. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so if you're watching the program, especially if you're a young person, I think that's, uh, that's a great verse for you. That's a great model to be after. You're, of course, you're going to grow up in stature, uh, but you've got to grow in wisdom with both God and with people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And we know that's what made him the man that he was. It was so influential. Uh, of course, he was a little different than he was fully God. But uh, we look at his uh, life and his childhood even as an example for us today. So good question. <clears throat> like Steve said, we really don't know the answer. But it's interesting to think about. Well, let's see if we can get one right here. Yeah, we, let's we see keep, if we can get one we can put an answer to. Keep telling them we don't know. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of them like that, and yep. we're honest here yep. on Know Your Bible. We'll tell you if we <laughs> we'll, can't find we'll an answer. Tell you if it's not in there. All right, here's one I think I can answer to <laughs> some degree anyway. A viewer wants to know: Explain Exodus 20 verse 5 about punishing children. It says something about God punishing children. So let's set the context before we read the verse. The context is in the Ten Commandments. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the longer ones because God explains why He's making the commandment. And the commandment is don't have idols. Don't worship idols. Okay? And then He goes on to say uh, what the punishment is or what will happen if you do worship idols. And that's the verse with viewers asking about. So let's look at Exodus 20 and verse 5 on the screen. He says, because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I want your attention. I want you to worship me is what he's saying. And I punish the children 
for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. All right, I got to admit, you sit down and read that verse and it says, all right, if a father worships an idol, a father does the sin, it sure looks like it says, God says, I'm going to punish the children for three and four generations. Uh, that's a disturbing concept. Uh, that, that just doesn't sound fair, does it? But it sounds like that's what uh, uh, God is talking about here in this verse. Uh, sounds like it, but just doesn't seem fair to us. Not totally fair. Uh, and we know that it's not completely true. Let's go to Ezekiel 18:20. Uh, the soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged to him. Okay, now we've got two things that sound different, don't we? We've got one that says God punishes the third and fourth generation. We get another one that says, no, if you sin, you get punished. If your father sins, son doesn't get punished. Son sins, father doesn't get punished for that. The wicked get punished for being wicked. The righteous get punished for being righteous. So we know those two things. How do we make this make sense? Well, here's the clue. The consequences do go on for generations, especially in idol worship. Very few situations exist in the Bible that we can find where a father turns to idol worship and then his son turns back to worshiping Jehovah. It usually goes on for three or four generations or even more. Once a father starts it, once he starts worshiping idols, he turns the family away from God for three or four generations. That's just the way it works. Okay? That's what God's talking about, is the, the consequences go on for a while. Uh, and we see that today. Children, in a sense, get punished for their father's sin, even though they're righteous. Let me give you an example. You can find somebody today who is very poor because their father or grandfather, maybe, uh, gambled away the family farm. Okay? They once had money. They would have had an inheritance. They would have been wealthy, perhaps. And dad or granddad gambled it away. It's all gone. The kids are suffering for that. They're, in a sense, being punished, not by God, but by the actions of their ancestors. Uh, we see somebody today who is physically weak, and we say, what happened to him? You know, why is he so weak and have so many physical problems? Well, his mother abused drugs during her pregnancy. Okay. The child's being punished for that, in a sense. Not that God said, I'm going to punish you for your sin, but because the consequences go on for generations. So I think that's the best way to understand that, that concept, and especially when you look at the con context of idol worship, that's just what happened. Once somebody turns away from God, sometimes their family is affected for generations. Now the reverse is true, too. Uh, when a, so many people can look back that their great-great-grandmother uh, turned to God and began worshiping God. And now generations later, the family has followed her example and stayed faithful to God, and they're being blessed because of it. Uh, 
that's the way it works in this world. When somebody turns one direction or another, it affects generations for a while. So hopefully that helped explain that a little bit. I think you're exactly right. I think there's also <coughs> this, within a family, there's the dynamic of children repeat uh, what they see being yeah. done. And so if mom or dad is engaged in a certain behavior, child just picks that up almost naturally, mm -hmm. repeat that, and it almost grows exponentially. We see that in scripture of, of sins not being inherited, but sort of passing from one generation to the other. Uh, and we assume, we just know today, kids watch their parents and they just do that, you know. <laughs> you know they got it from somewhere. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things, particularly if you see someone who uh, is a child abuser or sure. a, a, a oh, yeah. wife abuser, mm -hmm. uh, hits their spouse or yep. something, you can almost be guaranteed that their daddy yep. did the same, did the thing. same thing. That's where they right. learned it. Yep. Uh, and when we talk about that in fathering seminars and other things, we talk about being a cycle breaker. Oh, okay. You know. Yep. Uh, yes, your dad may have done some wrong things. He may have started your family on a wrong path. Sure. Well, you got a chance to break the cycle. Sure. Uh, you can change that and not do like <laughs> the previous generations have done. Change so, the family tree. <laughs> yeah, so I think God is uh, pointing out a truism there. This sure. is the way the world works. <laughs> mm. yeah. All right, let's take just a moment to talk about studying the Bible. We are happy we get to look at a few questions with you each week and try to find the answers. But uh, we've got some free Bible study materials that will help you know your Bible a whole lot better. And we're happy to provide those absolutely free of charge. And that's what we do on this program is tell you about some ways to study the Bible. And we're happy to mail them to you. And it won't cost you a thing. Take you a little bit of time, a little bit of study time in your own home. But uh, you regulate that. You can go as fast as you want or as slow as you want. Uh, for that matter, if you decide you don't like it, you can quit whenever you want. Uh, you see eight lessons on the screen right now starts with the Old Testament and then the New Testament. Great basic Bible study. Then we've got some more advanced ones that come after this one. Uh, so all you got to do is call that phone number, log on to that website, say you'd like that free Bible course. We'll put one in the mail for you immediately and uh, you can begin studying the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. We think you'll like it. We think you'll learn a lot about the Bible. So give us a call or log on and get that started today. All right, Toby, your turn. All right. Uh, this viewer asked the question, if the Bible was written for the betterment of man, why are there so many questions and so few answers? Well, uh, this is an interesting philosophical question, I guess. Uh, I, I'm not sure I agree with the premise of the question. I do believe that there are many questions. Uh, I, however, do believe that the Bible gives us the answers on the most important questions. Now, of course, in one sense, the Bible is an uh, all-encompassing book. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, <coughs> correcting, training in righteousness. Uh, Isaiah said that the Word of God uh, was like the rain that fell from the heavens. It would not return to Him void. So it accomplishes everything God needs it to accomplish. Uh, that said, there are times when people go to the Bible and they just wonder about certain things. We get some questions like that here on Know Your Bible that we already talked about. That sometimes we just don't have the answer in there. 
And my answer to that is those questions, though interesting, are not the most pressing things that God wanted us to know. And so it is okay to have those questions and it's fine to wonder about them, uh, but we got to pay attention to the big things first. I love the acronym and I don't know who came up with it or I would credit them, but they call, you know, they use the word Bible and they make it an, uh, an acronym. B-I-B-L-E stands for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And I think that's the, the, the essence of what I'm trying to get at here is that the Bible has the basic instructions, the most important things to do uh, before you leave this old world. So there are going to be lots of questions without answers. And part of that is because I think God likes to remind us that we are human, <laughs> that our knowledge, unlike his, uh, our knowledge is finite and limited. And uh, we look forward to loving and serving a God <laughs> whose knowledge is infinite uh, and without uh, limit. So I guess there are some answers that are just not necessary for us to know, at least not necessary for us to know right now. But you can trust that everything that's in the book uh, is beneficial, helpful, useful, and uh, the best advice <laughs> for living life. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. His Word gives us everything we need uh, for living uh, both in this life and in the next. That's a great question. All right. Thank you, Toby. The viewer wants to know, where does it say that the church should help the general public shouldn't help be given only to Christians? Well, the interesting question here. A uh, viewer thinks uh, the church shouldn't help the general public, uh, just help Christians only, and says the Bible doesn't say you ought to help the general public. I assume that's what they're looking for here. Uh, and I actually have heard of some churches that believe that, that teach that that the money that comes into the church, the, the church treasury, if you will, what people give to the church ought to be spent on Christians, not on the general public. Now, I don't think those people have anything against a member uh, supporting yeah, United yeah. Way or something like that, yeah. maybe helping the general public, uh, but I don't know for sure. But I have heard of that concept that the, the church treasury ought to be used for Christians only. And I can understand that in some ways because you're setting priorities and maybe that's all the money you have is to take care of your members. Uh, but there's a scripture that says both sides of it are right. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. And what Paul told the people in Galatia was, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, I think Paul there is saying, you set your priorities and help everybody, do good to everybody, but especially take care of the family of faith, take care of Christians. So. Uh, to me, it's a matter of if you've got limited funds, mm. they set the priority. If you've only got so many dollars in the, uh, the fund to help people and you've got a family in the church that needs all of it to, for instance, we had a family recently that uh, their house burned down. Mm -hmm. And uh, we at Northside, a lot of people helped, a lot of people gave things and money and other things, I believe, to help them get back on their feet. Well, if that was all the money we had, that's where it should have gone. Uh, that should be the first priority is helping our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but if we've got some other money, 
uh, we can help other people. So I, I don't think we should draw that hard line, not help the general public, but yes, help the family of faith first. So hope that helps. All right, let's take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We're kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to mention a few that support us each week. Uh, today, let me invite you to visit the St. John Church of Christ in central Kansas. If you live around that area, uh, you can find their congregation at 609 North Pearl. Carl Farrell and Tom Turner are well known in the community out there and both work with the church. They're great guys, uh, able to uh, teach the Word of God, and I know you'd enjoy meeting them and all the folks there at St. John. Uh, we've got some good friends there, and if you live in that community looking for a church home, drop in and visit them sometime. Of course, wherever you're located in the Know Your Bible viewing area, uh, there's probably a Church of Christ near you, and if you can't find one, uh, give us a call. We'll try to help you find the closest one. Uh, but you'd find a group of people that worship and study the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. Uh, you'd find some folks that uh, treat the Word of God seriously and try to follow it in their life and their worship. And I think you'd find a group of friendly people that would warmly welcome you uh, whenever you visit. So even if you just know somebody that attends the Church of Christ in your community, tell them, hey, I was watching that Know Your Bible program the other day and I heard you support it. I appreciate you doing that and I enjoy that program. So uh, visit the Church of Christ sometime near you. All right, Holy Spirit question. Yes, I have a Holy Spirit question. The viewer wants to know, is the Holy Spirit the power of God? Well, if I understand the correct question correctly, I think the answer is no. Uh, some people think that the Holy Spirit is some sort of a force or some sort of power of God, that it's just kind of the, the transmission source between God and us. And No, that's not how uh, Scripture describes the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a, a unique and separate and divine part of the Trinity, and He has all the characteristics of the Godhead. Um, the Holy Spirit, some people call it Him and It, and He is not an It, He's a He, uh, He's a person. And he has all the characteristics of a person as described uh, in many places throughout the Old and New Testament alike. Uh, the Bible shows that he thinks, he wills, he decides, he grieves, and he helps, and he's a, a unique part. Now, Jesus described uh, him as kind of like the wind, that you see the, the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind itself. And I think that's just a perfect illustration. And we live, of course, uh, produce this program from Kansas, and we're familiar with tornadoes. Well, tornadoes, just a giant vortex of wind. You see, think you see a tornado. What you're seeing is all the stuff the, that vortex of wind stirs up, and it kind of gives shape to it. But you really can't see the wind, uh, but you certainly can see the effects of it. Uh, and that, such is the same with the Holy Spirit. He works and He acts, and when you're baptized, you receive Him as a gift, and He uh, helps you as you go along. So uh, much of Him is a mystery. That is true. There's a lot, much about Him we don't know, but we do know that He exists and He lives. Let's look at John chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. And Jesus here speaking says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so he's a wonderful helper. He's an advocate. He is a person that walks with the Christian today, not in an uh, unusual, miraculous, mysterious, uh, miraculous way, but in a way that just helps us out and guides us along as we go. All right. Thank you, Toby. Viewers got an interesting question here. A lot of our viewers come up with things we hadn't heard before. This one says, what was the final outcome of the story of the prodigal son? I heard that the angry son killed the father. Well, the final outcome of the prodigal son story uh, is in the Bible. Uh, Jesus told a story. It's a parable. It's not a real life event. And he ended the parable this way that the elder son was complaining about the party for the younger son and all that. And the old, the father said, uh, we had to celebrate because your son, uh, my son who was dead, he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. That's the end of the story. Now, I don't know where our viewer heard that the angry son killed the father. Uh, he either found somewhere where it's got the rest of the story. Uh, or he'd been watching some soap opera somewhere because that sounds like a soap opera ending uh, that the son that's not happy <laughs> killed the father and it goes on into more trouble. But the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus ended the story where he ended it. And uh, you can imagine how it came out because it's just a story. A helpful story, a true story, one of the greatest stories in the world. Uh, but we don't know how it came out. All right, Toby. Yes, I have a cursing question here. Uh, a person asked the question, is the ever popular curse word with the Lord's name in it really a curse word or does it just sound bad? Well, there's an <laughs> interesting question here. Uh, the, I think if, a, if you're asking, does a person intend it to actually be a curse, an actual infliction of God's condemnation on a person, uh, I, I doubt that they intend that. If you say, do you, are, are you really asking God to eternally condemn someone uh, for, for something they've done or done to you or said to you, uh, are you asking him to condemn them to an eternal hell? Uh, I'd probably be pretty shocked if that was uh, they really thought about those words. I think certainly that curse word is using God's name in vain. That means they're using it thoughtlessly, uh, irreverently. They're not giving the holiness that God's name deserves. It's interesting, the Jews wouldn't even utter God's name, and some people just use it every day as a commonplace name. Scripture says clearly that uh, God's name is to be used with absolute reference. Let's look at James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. And James says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so certainly we should use God's name with reverence. I think most people who probably say that just use it pretty carelessly, and that's a sad thing. Once you know the power and the holiness of God, you use it in the right way. I agree with you. They're probably not, if they stopped and thought about what they yeah. said, no, I don't mean that. Right. Uh, but it's just commonplace. Just they learned it, it somewhere growing yeah. up, and their mama didn't wash their mouth out with soap <laughs> like, like she should have, and they've got this bad habit, so yep, yep. they ought to break it. All right, we're out, we're out of time today for parental advice, but we'll be next next week with more things. Uh, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered. Uh, what son replaced Abel? Cain and Abel were the first two boys, and Cain killed Abel. And Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25 tells us that Seth was the next born, 
and Eve said her son had been replaced. Abel had been replaced <coughs> with Seth. So that's the answer. And then, of course, they had many other uh, children, and that's how the earth got propagated. Both sons and daughters, Eve was the mother of all living, and they continued to propagate the earth. But Seth replaced Abel, so hopefully that's helpful. We're glad you've been with us today. We've got uh, lots more questions to cover. You always give us plenty to keep up with, and uh, we'll try to keep going next week. If you'll come back and be with us, uh, we'll try to answer some more of your questions. If you haven't signed up for that correspondence course yet, today would be a good day to do that. And we hope that you'll come back next week and study with us on Know Your Bible. Until then, we just hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.